All right, here we go. The podcast with Pastor Dorian Cass. Necessary conversation. What up, dope? Watson. What's going on, family? What's up, man? What's up? How we doing? I'm doing good. Doing good, man. All right. Always love a good intro. Can feel when you're feeling good. Today looks like you're well rested. You know, <laughs> kids must have given you a little bit of some rest or whatever. Not it is. really. I had a little <laughs> caffeine today, so ah uh, yes. I'm not. I'm not normally a coffee drinker, but every now and then I have to indulge. Uh, yes. Well, we always welcome company <laughs> to the caffeine. like myself. Lord like have I mercy. said, caffeine. <laughs> you sound like a fiend. <laughs> Don't pray for me on that one. That's all right. Others have said. So, hey, everybody, welcome back once again. We know, like we said, we're off for a little bit, but we're back rocking and rolling. And uh, what we want to do is, again, thank you all for the uh, love that's been going on. And I just want to ask that you keep it up as far as the social media you know, hitting us up on the Facebooks and the Instagrams, Twitters, whatever your favorite form is. But um, one big thing I really want you guys to do is share and repost. That's the biggest way that this uh, ministry grows is by you guys, because I'm not going to live on social media and like be posting and friending and asking everybody else. Pastor Cass isn't either. That's just not naturally who we are. Um, for me, it's actually a stretch to be on there at all. So uh, for you guys to repost and share, it's going to be the biggest way of growth for us. And we just want you guys to do that if you're enjoying us. If not, tell us why. <laughs> but this week, it's going to be one of the hardest hitting topics we've done in some time. Uh, it's a very natural and spiritual conversation we're about to jump into. Um, as of recently in the news, uh, we just recently had three uh, acts of random violence and shootings. And we're, I know we already did an episode on shootings uh, a couple months ago, but this one's going to go for a little bit of a different turn as this one is going to tie to some of the motivations that we think are tied to this. <clears throat> and we're going to have some uh, topics uh, tied to that, uh, really kind of centering around some of the most motivations that we talked about last time, and it's race and religion and how it's rolled all tied together, especially here in this country. Um, and you'll see it with things like uh, starting off, for instance, uh, according to a, a Gallup poll in 2017, 42% of Americans worry a great deal about race relations in the U.S. And that's up 7% from the previous year. So we're having record highs of one massive violence that are being officially called race related and racial motivated. And people's awareness, or at least admitted awareness to racism. So that being said, Pastor Cass, my man, though, mm -hmm. I got to ask you, with the church involved in this and us as believers, what role did we play in watching this all just come into a, a festering explosion of hateful violence and race? Oh, wow. So um, it's a lot absolutely going on, and I think... Um, it's interesting with uh, some of the recent shooters. As a matter of fact, um, I mentioned it um, in the conversation we had on um, it happened again um, about um, mass shootings that, you know, when when were we going to label the issue uh, what it is? You know, uh, not every single instance, but many of them tied to white supremacy, uh, the shooting yeah. in El Paso, 
specifically, specifically specifically drove to El Paso to that Walmart to shoot um, uh, Mexicans um, whom he believed there was an invasion um, to mirror the uh, rhetoric coming from the White House. Right. Um, I think even much more, uh, I think something that we have to wrestle with is that there is also a certain amount of Christian um, ideology or uh, supposed Christian ideology that is um, also in the manifesto and in the you know ideologies of some of these mass shooters. So uh, we have to consider this. So uh, to get to your question, um, the first thing I'd have to question is whether the the, the vernacular is correct when you say we. Okay. Um, you know, I, I that we is is part of the challenge, and I believe um, when you talk about the racial composition of our churches here. Mm-hmm. Um, in America, um, you know, that we uh, is, 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 is tough because most churches are one thing or the other when it comes to its racial composition. Uh-huh. And I think that that plays a role absolutely in how the church sees itself in relation to the issues that are going on. So first and foremost, how we played a role or how the church in general played a role in us getting to this point. Right. Um, I think American Christianity has been tainted, uh, and not just American Christianity. I think European Christianity has been tainted from the beginning as it is a Christianity that has chosen or that has been, has compromised with racist imperialist ideals from its very inception so okay um, again so just kind of expand upon that thought right there just a little bit i don't want to detract you from your ultimate point sure so sure people so, know exactly what you mean so by saying that again uh christianity again we talked about it in um our user questions or our yes. listener questions about the history of christianity and that christianity was used as a tool for colonialism for the british empire like it was part and parcel with the gun they bring religion and a gun in order to invade and take over um countries but here in the united states the the interesting thing that so many christians you know bang their hands and say this is a Christian nation and it has been Christian from its inception and that the founding fathers were Christians but they were Christian slaveholders and God we trust you know exactly but so they were Christian slaveholders so we have a brand of Christianity in our country Mm -hmm. that has from its inception in many circles not all but in many circles compromised and been complicit in slavery racism and the dehumanization of black people. So, you know, like I think we have to wrestle with that as being inherent in the DNA, not just of our country, uh-huh. but in our Christianity. Okay. Um, and that plays out in a couple different places, uh, practically speaking, that the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, which yeah. is the largest Protestant uh, uh, denomination in the country, okay, has its roots and the individuals that split from the General Baptist Convention having the right to be slaveholders and its missionaries be mm-hmm. slaveholders like it has its foundation and its roots uh-huh. in support for slavery. Uh-huh. Like that's that that's 
a part of its history. That's not just me looking in and having an opinion of it. It's part of its history. Okay. Um, the United Pentecostal Churches, the UPC, um, you know, a separatist movement from the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. Now, there are those that would argue, you know, about the reality and the reasons for that split. But we do know, practically speaking, um, the PAW was a multicultural mm-hmm. um, organization. And for many years after the split, the UPC was a predominantly white organization and the PAW now a predominantly African-American organization. It just is what it is. Right. Um, so and that's the largest, if one of, if not the largest Pentecostal denomination in the United States, both having inherent in their history yeah. um, uh, uh, issues around race and racism. Like we can't ignore that as foundational to American I- culture and history racism is it is very much the same for many corners of Christianity as well. Okay. Okay. So that, you know, like I said, I just got you off your track for a little bit. No, that, that that's important. Establish that foundation that you're talking about. So people, you know, we're not just saying foundation, but we actually laying the foundation. Yeah. And it's, and it's history. This isn't like a opinion of certain types of churches. This is history written out laid out this is in my opinion so i'm not right. like you know because we can project and we can have our ideas and opinions but we're talking history so when we talk about the history of this country and its foundation and and and, and slavery being part and parcel to it christianity agreeing with yeah and making peace with racism and dehumanization like that's also part and parcel okay to our history so being that that's part and like you say of the history would you say it's part of our currency? Like, is that going on currently? Are we in support of racism with uh, Christian ideology or, you know, like lining it up to make it convenient for our faith or believers? So, um, and again, that's the we. That's the we. Um, and, and Christian we is always challenging because you got different denominations. So, like, at the same time that I'm saying, you know, inherent in our Christian practice here in the United States is racism and agreement with slaveholding. The Quakers, who are Christians, were leading proponents in the abolitionist movement to abolish slavery. So there were Christians, uh, William Wilberforce, that were, you know, adamant and used their Christianity as a platform to fight slavery and racism um, all the way up to Martin Luther King Jr. who garnered the force of his his moral authority mm-hmm. from his Christian faith. Like Martin Luther King was who he was because he was able to derive his moral grounding in scripture. Um, but uh, uh, at, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to digress too much, but when you talk about like, are we currently? Yeah. What are we currently doing? I'm saying that there's always different, you know, oh, right, right, right. There's different things happening within the body of Christ at the same time. So currently, um, I believe that there are churches in or if if something is a fact of your history mm-hmm. and it is a part of your DNA, the only way that you will actually be free of it is if you intentionally deal with it. So I think that as a matter of opinion that some Christian denominations um, and maybe predominantly white uh, uh, organizations may have is they think if we are no longer behaving like we were before, right? We have done our part. Like we don't agree with slavery anymore. Okay. We on 
the surface, at least, and in our statements have apologized for it and say we don't agree with racism. Yeah. So we have done our part. Um, but there are those, uh, and myself included, that um, saying sorry isn't <laughs> enough. And biblically speaking, yeah, restitution is a part of biblical repentance. Okay. So you don't just get to say you're sorry in the scriptures. In the scriptures, if you take from someone, now, and this is in Old Testament law, this is, we understand it even from the teachings of Jesus. If you take from someone, when you repent and if you're caught, you don't just repent, you pay back with interests. Specific right. in the story when Nathan the prophet comes to confront King David about David. taking the Sheba. Right. And he gives him the analogy of the man that had a lot of sheep and he kills his neighbor's one lamb that he used as a pet. Right. Nathan asked David what should be done to that man. Right. right and right. if you know the story, David says he should have to pay back times four. David was referencing the scriptures that if you stole, you had to pay back. Like that's. That so so just saying we're sorry we're not gonna do it anymore mm -hmm. is not enough. Um, okay. So I think there are those who are silent on the matter because they're like I'm not racist we're not racist we like black people at our church so we've done our part and I think the assistant pastors black. This is oh you trying to start some trouble today Watson? <laughs> I, I that so um. That's my church way of saying I have five black friends, you know? <laughs> no, seriously. Um, I believe, cause, and I say you're starting trouble because I believe the conversation around um, so-called multicultural, and I use so-called intentionally, Yeah, yeah. Um, that is in light of these issues and matters, a conversation we need to have um, because I don't believe many of these churches that claim to be multicultural Mm -hmm. And love posting pictures of their black members mm -hmm. and love a multicultural or I think the, the phrase would better be said as multi-ethnic okay. praise team. I don't I believe that they're they're dangerous if they are not being built with the right intent. So um, because you have those churches that in order to continue growing will not speak out against the rising tide of white supremacist rhetoric because they don't want to offend the sensibilities of some of their congregants. So they're being silent on the matter. So let me, let me ask you that then, as far as offending the sensibilities, what would, you know, I'm going to play that side. Like what would a good Christian pastor say against a white supremacist uh, sort of language that would offend anyone? What could you say that would offend someone unless they in fact themselves are also like, I don't like Nazis. Who's going to disagree with that? Yeah. I think with the current man, Justin, so with the current movement for social justice that we have going on now and when the, the, the movement for social justice includes many things now. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that is one of the things that makes it difficult as a pastor to be completely on board with many of the social movements. Mm -hmm. um, say, for instance, even like, say, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Now, do you do I believe Black Lives Matter. Yep. Oh, you better bet your bottom dollar I do. However, included in the bl official Black Lives Matter platform is many things as a, a Bible-believing Christian. I do not 
agree with right um many of their views on um the nuclear family um on uh sexual identity and expression i just i just don't agree with so i can't wear a black lives matter t-shirt like i just you know like it it's so the the rhetoric around social justice has really challenge definitions of things. Yeah. And because of that, many people don't agree on what makes somebody racist or not. So oh. calling somebody racist or calling something racist now, there's no singular definition of that. So many people, that's like the most offensive thing you can call them. So if a pastor were to get up and especially in a predominantly white congregation or not even a predominantly white congregation, we've had people leave this church. Yeah. Because my father labeled some of our dealings with city government as racist or racially motivated. Yep. You know, we had a white parishioner, a white family yep. leave because they were offended by that um, because, you know, they worked in a, not the same city, but a different city government and they were offended by that. So I think that's one of the challenges inherent in this is there's many definitions. There's a lot of discussion that is not specific to the plight of black people going on that yeah. I think is reflecting in the difficult nature of addressing these topics. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean that you shouldn't <laughs> just because some people might be offended does not mean that mm -hmm. you should not address, you shouldn't address it. That's our job as truth tellers. Yeah. And as what I believe to be prophets in this land is to say and share mm -hmm. the uncomfortable truths. Sure. So with uh, some of these, like you say, hard to address and uncomfortable truths um, with the church's role in this. And I, I want to ask, you know, a very pointed question then and just see if like what your thoughts are towards it. Like with, again, this heated environment, like, I mean, I, I would imagine you'd almost have to go back to like the sixties or seventies as to like how, how tight the racial tensions are. What did the church help create this environment i mean did we, absolutely did we stoke the fire 100 percent, 100 percent, 100 percent. now and, and it because it is because um throughout the entirety again of our country all the way to now you have those that have been telling um black people mm -hmm. and our allies who have been preaching for marching for declaring the need for justice and they've been telling us to wait to don't be divisive that's the favorite famous one <laughs> and i t i say if you don't speak out or if you tell those who are speaking out to be quiet uh -huh. or be less urgent mm -hmm. you are helping create an environment for those that are fueled by hate to thrive martin luther king's letter from birmingham jail was addressed mostly to clergymen Okay. Because they were calling Martin Luther King divisive and they were mm -hmm. telling him to stop with the divisive rhetoric. Like I, it's, it's amazing to me that nowadays many clergymen will point to Martin Luther King as, Hey, this is who you should behave like when at the time white clergy were telling Martin Luther King to stop doing <laughs> what you're doing. You're being divisive. And that's when Martin Luther King wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail to white clergymen talking about the urgency of the matter and the urgency of now. So I believe uh -huh. for the sake of comfort, yeah, the church has been complicit with racism in this country. There are churches right now 
who are mobilizing their political strength to support mm-hmm. racist um, individuals for uh, uh, um, political seats, racist ideologies. Sure. And they're literally using their Christian platform to move these things along too. So it, it, the, the church is absolutely either by its intentional engagement with racist politics, without the Ku Klux Klan, like they burned crosses. Like that's, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been happening. But I think just as bad as churches that mobilize yeah. and use racist rhetoric are these massive so-called multicultural churches that are silent on the issue. Those types of churches burn me up. They will be racist violence and blood flowing in the streets and they'll be eating popcorn at their night at the movie series and will not reference it. And that angers me beyond mm-hmm. belief because you have members of your community who seek mental, spiritual and social solace, peace and healing in your congregation and for the sake of growing your church in a so-called multicultural dynamic and not wanting to offend people, you will not speak out against the blatant racist comments and rhetoric of our president, of white supremacists, of shooters because you want to just keep growing your big Massive so-called multicultural church. And those two churches, the ones that line up with the Jerry Falwell juniors of the world at Liberty University and the huge churches that won't say anything, both are playing a role in creating the tension we have now. Because what it does is, is when a, a Christian such as myself wants to speak up on the matter, yeah. It paints me as like, hey, you're a rabble rouser <laughs> as opposed to no, I'm using my Christian witness. Yeah. OK, so just really quickly before I go to the next question, the Jerry Falwell, just for those who don't know, Jerry Falwell Jr. Well, Jerry Falwell, um, he his father. Well, Jerry Falwell is who. Um, was the progenitor of uh, the moral majority movement, which, which was a political movement of Christians in the late 70s, early 80s, yep. and and also founded Liberty University, mm-hmm. which is a conservative mm-hmm. uh, Christian university. Um, and his son, Jerry Falwell Jr., is now the president of mm-hmm. the university, and he was one of the earliest Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, he's who had Trump come and speak at Liberty University. And has made many, many inflammatory mm-hmm. remarks and comments that are deemed as racist by many, um, whether it's against blacks, Latinos, um, immigrants in general. Um, and But I'm always careful. I believe there's a difference between um, the issues that black people face and other Absolutely. people of color face in this country. So I'm not one of the blanket people of color statements, sure. statement makers, because I believe our. So problem is unique. So that's that's what okay. Jerry Falwell Jr. is. Right, and I know we've res- you maybe res- referenced him once or twice before. I just mm-hmm. want to make sure we're always you know things that aren't just like completely sure. Out there. I don't want to make assumptions. <clears throat> so I, I, man, I got so many things running on my head here, but uh, just specifically because kind of referencing back to what you said earlier about how now what is racism and who's a racist, what is a racist, uh, how that's become a little murky and hard to identify. When somebody makes comments that are inflammatory or racist, 
I mean, like, what would be something that you would, I mean, it's clear as day to maybe me or you, we get it. Sure. But like to, you know, the uh, people who don't see it the same way, you know, like what are some things that are like just clear, blatant racism that pastors and Christians should be standing against? So there's a couple of things. And I, what, what I want to, um, what I don't want to fall into the trap of is trying to categorize things as clear and blatant. Okay. Um, because I, th- I think trying to uh, make a complex matter simple is how you miss people. Um, so I, I don't, you know, somebody calling somebody the N word, like, of course, like, okay, you know, there's literal videos of ladies, you know, and people calling somebody the N word or telling a black person that is a descendant of slavery whose family has been in this country longer than anybody's to go back where you came from. Mm-hmm. You know what's amazing about that, which is why I said I don't want to be reductionist in our conversation about this. The president tells, you know, American born senators to yes. go back where they came from and that there was a discussion about whether that was racist or not. Well, that's <laughs> and so it, which that seemed blatant to me. Right. But fully rational people. Mm-hmm. Who people I would consider fairly rational, yeah, weren't as quick to. I've seen some threats. Here's 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 what I say is number one. Those who have been victim to racism or to an issue, well, let me simplify. Black people get to, to define racist, not white people. Like that. That is really. <laughs> What's glad at, you said that. What's at the heart of tr- let us working through defining this? Yeah. I believe what um, my white brothers and sisters who are who mean well and mm-hmm. who want unity, who want peace, have to come to the conclusion that as a white person, I don't get to define racism. Mm-hmm. That those who have been oppressed, those who have been uh, 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 suppressed they're the ones that can tell you what racism is and if you don't understand or agree with okay, the issue is to not combat it's to seek to understand mm-hmm. like why would you call that racist and I don't mm-hmm. so that's number one is I don't want to simplify I don't want to say who it's it's more about where does the definition come from and white people don't get to define. I'm sorry. Okay. Like you don't have that privilege. You got a lot of privileges in this country. You don't get the privilege <laughs> of defining what is racist because if white people got to define what is racist, they would have said separate schools are weren't racist. Sure. Like so you don't get to define it. Okay. Um secondly, uh after we can come to that conclusion and then we decide that if I don't agree it's a matter of understanding, not calling black people the real Mm-hmm. Racists. Again, uh, 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 it it's more about the work of understanding why, and then it's also recognizing, and this is what I believe, and this is what I think is challenging where we are yeah. in our current dynamic is that racism can be embedded in systems, yeah, and not in the consciousness. It can be embedded in the in the system and subconsciousness of people so it does not have to be an outright consciously motivated i'm going to call somebody an n-word and decide not to give them a job because they're black 
it can be embedded in how funds are distributed, how taxes are collected, how schools are zoned, you know, how admissions are done, how tests are worded. Like racism can be embedded in systems and it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be a racist person that is actively intending to. Mm -hmm. um, that the system can be designed in a way and then in the subconscious of a person. Uh, for instance, I, had, I was, was talking to uh, uh, a friend of mine. I don't want to get too specific because I'm always careful of who's listening. They were talking about a band that was getting put together at a church. Okay. And there was a black uh, uh, a guitar player in the area that is just phenomenal, like amazing, uh -huh. like beyond, like supernaturally gifted. But okay. he, he, of course, is very flamboyant in his playing. Uh -huh. It's the mo it's a multicultural i'm using air quotes if you can't see me yeah yeah yeah, yeah. church that generally plays more white leaning ccm type yes of ccm music. Yeah. christian music and they picked a less skilled player over the black player because he's like well he does too much and yeah. they would have been uncomfortable telling him yeah. do less so you have a brother that's more gifted not mm -hmm. get a job because the white music director didn't want to have to have the uncomfortable conversation with him yeah. with like, we need you to play a different way. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm not calling the music director racist. I'm saying the disconnect there is how a black person misses out on a job that he's more than qualified for, whether it's his style of play or the music director's discomfort with having the conversation with him. Because if he's gifted enough and the music director knew he's gifted enough to play the style. Yeah, that he's asking him to play. He just didn't want to have the uncomfortable conversation with the black person. He didn't identify with as much. He'd rather pick a less skilled guitarist that he identifies with and doesn't have to have the conflict of the racial <laughs> disconnect. So um, I think that's the other part of when we're trying to define racism that I would wish some of my white brothers and sisters, many of which who are well-meaning, would would open their eyes or at least be seeking to understand that racism doesn't have to be this at the front of your mind. I hate black people and I'm looking to do harm to black people kind of mentality. It is inherent in us in many systems mm -hmm. and subconscious judgments that we have in this country. You know, and that brings me to a point I was hoping we would get to. Um, you, you kind of talked about how, Things have been stoking and we've been getting pushed forward and getting more and more with uh, racism. So I ask, because of exactly what you just said, is open racism, blatant racism, someone walking up to you telling you exactly what they think about you and your color of your skin mm -hmm. and how it makes you less qualified. Is that such a bad thing in comparison to this subtle put away, let's embed it in the systems of the world thing? Yeah, you know, so um, that's an interesting question. Because I'll go keep going. You go go ahead. Because I was going to say because in a sense, I don't feel like we can address an issue unless we can admit that there's an issue. Like the fact that we're in a state of high affairs, at least it leads to us having this conversation. And then, but how do we have this conversation? Somebody had to stoke the fire, and the guy out there on uh forty four hundred. He stoked the fire pretty good. So um, I say that's interesting because I used to fall firmly on one side of this. And that is that I'd rather it be out in the open mm -hmm. than subtle. Like, you know, you get in northern, you know, states, you yeah. know, where nobody's going to be calling you the N word. Um, but they're going to be keeping you in less than 
great neighborhoods like redlining was still happening in the north. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, uh, however, and all the way to the point of I remember when President Trump was elected and I was having a conversation um, uh, with one of my brothers and a friend of ours. And I was of the mindset like, hey, and this was shortly after his election. I'm like, all we're going to do is hear what's really been in people's hearts all along anyway. Right. So, you know. Uh, but I'm revising that a little bit. Okay. So I do appreciate knowing where people are rather than them hiding it. Right. However, um, I wasn't as aware of what that constant rhetoric, the constant in incitement of conflict can do to heighten people's sensitivities mm-hmm. even more. So I think what is currently happening is not just what's in people's hearts or, you know, or we're hearing who the racists really are. Yeah. I think like the word you used before, it's being stoked. Okay. So the rhetoric and language is increasing hostility where people see conflict places they may not have seen conflict before where people see persecution you know okay. of you know people white people feeling white males yeah feeling persecuted now <laughs> and 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 saying we are we are responding this way because of what you guys are doing to us and i think that creates an anger and uh, a resentment that um may not have existed if this open angry rhetoric wasn't happening. So I don't think it's as black and white as I felt it was before. Like I'd rather we be talking about it and you know it like I do, but I think there's a better way for it to be brought to the surface (laughs) than kind of the inflammatory way that it's been happening. But I do not want to lay all of what's happening in our current moment at the feet of president Trump. Like Trump doesn't, he, he, he does not happen unless these tendencies and sensibilities don't already exist in our country. So I'm not so short-sighted to say President Trump is the reason why all of this happening. No. Yeah. Um he is a an exposure. He is what's done in the dark coming to light as the scriptures say. Um that what was hidden in the recesses of people's hearts right. has manifested itself and is 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 being exposed for the world to see. So he's a manifestation. He's not a a cause. Okay. Right, right. So that being said, like you said, it's clearly like it's not going to just what he's got uh, another year and then an election. And if he wins another four. Yeah. So it's not going to end in a year or in five years based on that. No, I don't think even if he loses this next election, Either. which ooh, I'm not certain he's going to. I, I don't think what has been released into our country is going to right. dissipate anytime soon. So that being said, what is the church's role in trying to put out these fires since we helped stoke them by either not doing anything or doing whatever. What is the church's role moving forward? So you, you'll get a couple of different answers. Okay. Um, again, uh, Billy Graham, (laughs) Billy Graham and Martin Luther King were contemporaries and Billy Graham was Mm -hmm. not publicly supporting Martin Luther King, even though he'd say in private. And he even said in his old age and before he passed, that's one of his deep regrets that he was not. Yeah. You know, publicly, you know, he's putting in stadiums full of people and he could have done 
so much good and and the yeah. best he could do is not publicly oppose right. Martin right. Luther King. And then you, of course, you have those that you know say, "Hey, we need unity, and we just can't be divisive, and eventually things mm. will get better." Some people tell you, uh, many in the Southern Baptist Convention um, and many white evangelical circles would tell you, "Just preach against sin." If we preach yeah. against sin, that will like racism is sin. Mm-hmm. So that will deal with the issue. Preach Jesus uh-huh. and Jesus alone and you will address the issue. So that's one group of people that, you know, are self-professed anti-racist. They'll say that's that's the solution to just preach Jesus. Um, and, I, and I wrestle with that because, again, We've preached an American Jesus that is <laughs> uh, at peace with racism and slavery. There's a there's an American Jesus that preached uh, slavery. There was an American Jesus that was preached with edited Bibles that removed verses that would give slaves the imp- imp- impression that they should be free. Like those are actual Bibles that exist. Yeah. Um, that they would remove the scriptures. Like I, so I'm, I can't I can't buy people that'll tell you to just preach Jesus because Jesus gets preached through human beings. Okay. So um, I believe the church's role, the church is to be our, the church is to be a prophetic voice. Okay. In the world. And I say this often, the church, we live the way we do because we're supposed to show the world a sneak peek of the world that is to come. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I feel preaching coming on right now. Watching saw my hands moving and everything. I'm shaking my head. So, <laughs> so really, I want the listeners to know what your role in the world, the reason why he saves us and then leaves us in the earth and tells us to live holy and sanctified, free from sin, is we are supposed to be giving the world a sneak peek into the world that is to come, a, one, a world that is free from sin. Uh-huh. It is free from things like racism and yeah. murder and lying and envy and jealousy and gossiping and backbiting. Like our job is to be prophetic, speak the word of God and tell of future things to come. Yeah. And that's why we're supposed to live sinless life. Uh, N.T. Wright puts it wonderful in his book, Simply Christian, that we literally pull the future into into today by virtue of our sanctified and holy living. And so if we are going to be prophetic in the world, we have to show the world what it looks like to be free from their sins. So Mm -hmm. if we are to be prophetic, we preach against lying, Mm -hmm. don't we? Absolutely. We we will preach, teach and write books on sexual purity. We will hold conferences on marriages and trying to keep them together. We will have people that will elect a president or, or or a politician simply based on the fact that they believe marriage is between a man and a woman right. as opposed to same-sex marriage. Like we will engage politically over abortion because it is sin. We don't believe that you just preach Jesus and you'll address abortion. Right. We don't believe you just preach Jesus and you'll address fornication and adultery. We preach Jesus and says this is what Jesus would want. So in light of that, I believe the church's responsibility is to genuinely preach prophetically against the sin of racism Mm -hmm. and uh, being silent on the matter is being complicit in the matter. So to preach Jesus is to say that he is no respecter of person. So any impartiality is sin. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like to and specifically say racism is a type of respect of person. Right, right. That all men are made in the image and likeness of God and racism violates scripture on that matter. And this is, I think, the next step for the church to truly be a prophetic voice in the world is that God believes in restorative justice. God never believes, sorry, I won't do it again is enough. Mm-hmm. He believes in restoring and making whole those who have been ru- uh, 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 stolen from. Yeah. So, um, again, if it is in your history and you know it is in your DNA, you have to intentionally look to make amends. So um, I believe the church needs to be the leading advocates of what it looks like to make amends for past hurt. Yeah. Uh, and and they need to be preaching. This is what we're doing to make amends for our past hurts. We are funding inner city black churches. We're not going to plant our own with our own sensibilities and rules and leadership in an inner city. We are going to give resources to a black led church that has been in the inner city for decades. Like it blows my mind that we have these rich white churches with resources, planting churches so-called in the inner city because on their IG page, they want to say, we love this city. And it's been a black church sitting right there underfunded, under resourced because they are genuinely serving poor Mm -hmm. people. Right, right. Restorative justice says this place is poor because of certain systems and we are going to lead the charge and what it looks like to make amends and really genuinely seek justice for people who have been taken advantage of and harmed and then call on our government to do the same thing. Um, uh, uh, That's what I believe personally. Yeah. Um, You know, because you quote Amos, like our prophets were looking and crying for justice, you know, like that's actually what was happening. Not just repent. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. Right. Like healing is part and partial to repentance. And we have to be looking for, for healing. And we have to be looking for like the prophet Amos, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. The church isn't preaching mm-hmm. prophetically unless it's calling for justice and restoration is inherent in justice. And I'll quote Malcolm X, you don't get to stab me in the back and say, because I pulled the knife out two inches, <laughs> I've made things better. Right. No, like it, it, you don't get to do that. And I think the church, either in its silence or in its support for political movements that wish to do harm to our racial progress, man, are doing damage. And if you're doing anything less than preaching the way Jesus would preach to the powers that be. Yeah. You are doing a disservice. OK, so I mean, man. Let me ask this then, because for me, this being a subject, uh, I do my best to try to think on both sides or for the people who aren't here. And I, I do my best right here in this subject to try to think as if I was one of our white brothers or sisters listening. And I suppose any of them that would be or are listening and anyone else, 
most would not say I am a racist. Sure. And I have racist ways about me. No. But we know the Bible in Jeremiah says something about the heart and being desperately wicked. Sure. I'll let you quote the full scripture. Yeah. How does that person come to that realization that they have these racist ways if they're not like, how do they know that? Like, how does a racist know that they're racist? So that that's and want to overcome. it. Yeah, that's that's why I, I made the statement I did earlier when you were asking me about, like, how do you point out what's blatantly racist? Yeah, is. I, I don't you know. I think they have to step, come to the 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 discussion because I believe, and unfortunately, I've tried to not be as fiery and make indictments and you know as as uh and point fingers. You know, I've tried to be as as um you know peaceful about this discussion as I possibly can. But I'm sure there will be people who will be offended. Mm -hmm. by it you know it is unfortunate but i think i'm not trying to call like i think someone needs to like take a step back and not feel personally (laughs) attacked because i'm not calling any individual a bad person per se i think that's the 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 hurdle we have to get over yeah is to know that that the way racism happened in our country and in our society it's bigger than one person and it's mm-hmm. more than one person to have to like bear the responsibility of it and mm-hmm. even bear the responsibility of their own personal position. That's why I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to create this attack on someone to not feel attacked because it's, I don't want, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make you feel racist. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to make you feel like a bad person. I'm trying to, Open your eyes to the water we both swim in, right? Because there, you know, there's the analogy. Well, we about don't the, swim in the same water. <laughs> We're swimming against the stream. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's in the same water. We might have different currents, and yeah. our, the, the, you know, but we we both white and black mm-hmm. swim in a in the same water of American racism. That would have, you know, police officers that shoot black people are black as well. You know this, right? Yeah. Like it's not only white police officers that shoot black people because we swim in the same water that would make us more suspicious of black people as well. Right. Like, you know, I, so th- that's why it's bigger. I think every, everybody takes the indictment so personally. And I th- and again, I don't have a perfect answer on this, but I think the start of it is to not take the conversation personally as if you had to wake up one morning and decide i don't like black people Mm -hmm. in order to be in a part of this conversation you don't you know you don't have to have had that kind of conscious decision and you don't have to have called anybody the n-word you don't have to have consciously hated black people and tried to keep them down in order to still be Mm -hmm. involved and implicit in this conversation so i don't want anybody to hear me trying to tell them you know something bad about themselves or even you know hopefully they believe jeremiah when he says your heart is desperately wicked who can know it um but i don't even want it to start at the person's heart yeah i want to start at where the person came of age and where they learned and where they grew up and the television shows they watched and 
you know, you I was born, you know, under President Ronald Reagan, who recordings just came out of him calling African leaders <laughs> monkeys. Like that's just that's part and parcel to how we were raised and how we were formed. So it's not so yes. personal. And I think anytime the term racist is thrown out, white individuals they feel personally response like it's a personal attack and responsibility therefore the immediate response is to defend themselves and i think the way that the conversation can be had is you don't have to feel personally responsible for this discussion and this conversation it is and it exists above and beyond you and me Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because I, yeah. I just don't. Because yeah. people get so personally offended because they act like I'm pointing a finger of responsibility at them. Well, and I'm I saying mean, this is bigger than you. It, and 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 here's the thing: if we were having this conversation about any other sin, because let's just call racism what it is. It's a sin. If we we're sitting here having a conversation about uh, them being um, uh, a whoremonger, there would be some unease to that too. There sure. will be some offense feeling to that too, because again, sure. you're, you are calling them quote unquote, a bad person. You know, I know you're not, but that's the yeah. way it's perceived. So how do we, as uh, the majority of our listeners are going to listen to this as African-Americans, blacks, the oppressed mm-hmm. share this with our uh, white brothers and sisters in a manner in which that we can have this conversation. You know, how do we do that with love per se? Like, you know, how do we in, like because most of us probably don't have a lot of racist friends, like openly, you know, yes, friends that do. we think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, you do. Yeah, th- that's what I'm saying there. So you get I think you mm-hmm. get what I'm trying to say by saying that most of our friends we don't hang out with that aren't like. If you do hang out with people of the of other cultures that are just like openly against you. But how you know do you what's crazy? I in, just literally just in a group chat of friends. And uh, one of my Caucasian brothers is in the chat, known him pretty much all my life. And we literally just had it out a couple of days ago Mm -hmm. over what is and isn't racist. And, you know, like I was genuinely shocked and I don't get shocked by much, Mm -hmm. like just by by my nature and by what I get exposed to regularly. Right. Very I remember seldom. we had that conversation like at the start. About, yeah, I like, don't get shocked by much. Like it just doesn't happen. I, I, but I was actually shocked yeah. by how much um, he dug his heels in mm-hmm. owning what his, where his line or where he believed the line was okay. on what people should see and understand and, and you know, what they should know. Um, and what is or isn't racist and things mm-hmm. like that. I was just surprised, not even at necessarily what he thought, but just how adamant he was in owning yeah. his perspective. I was like, wait a minute, you know me. You should know me well enough to give me some credibility that if I'm talking about this, mm-hmm. you should at least want to hear. Because mm-hmm. that's what I was saying. I don't need, I, I, matter of fact, I said specifically to him, because we put a clip in there of Eddie Glaude. If you haven't seen it, it he does this two-minute talk. I think it's on CNN uh-huh. or MSNBC, one of the two. And it is masterful mm-hmm. in its discussion of race and racism in America. Just just this past couple of weeks. I think he's a professor at Princeton. And he's a commentator on either CNN or MSNBC. Uh-huh. And when I tell you, it is one of the most masterful two-minute discussions on racism in America that you will ever hear. 
Okay. Dynamic. Just Google it. Everybody that's listening, Eddie Gloud, I think his last name is G-L-A-U-D-E. Um, and check it out. So somebody posted it in the chat. Okay. So the conversation starts it's, about it. Sure. And he's talking about what he agreed with and what he doesn't agree with. And I'm like, time out. Nobody needs you to agree or disagree. <laughs> the first, and, and this is getting to answer your, to your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think the first thing that if you're going to have this conversation with, um, you know, regarding race and racism in our country, uh, the first thing that white people feel they bring to the discussion many times is the ability to agree or disagree. And it's and it's 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 crazy, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of what that says about their position in this country. But in many instances, they feel their opinion is what actually legitimizes an opinion. <laughs> so if white people agree with it, it becomes legitimized, you know. So they believe that their agreement or disagreement mm-hmm. legitimizes the thought, and then you'll be having a whole different kind of conflict because that was what was happening. Is is I think what the first thing we need to be requesting of our white brothers and sisters is not for them to agree with us okay, or disagree. The first thing we need to be asking for is that I just need your posture to be that of wanting to understand. Like before you agree or disagree, realize that there is something that you need to understand first. Yeah. You have not been black. You've never been a black person. Black history has not been taught sufficiently in our schools. Right. White supremacy and its reaches and implications have not been taught. You haven't read books on the matter. Like so first and foremost, this isn't and that's cuz the fight happens if they disagree. And I'm not asking you to disagree or agree yet. Before we get to agree or disagree, the first thing I need you to do is recognize that there is a certain amount of understanding you have to do and be willing to agree to before you can agree or disagree. Because I'm not saying you have to agree with everything that I say. Because can black people get sensitive and overly sensitive? Of course. And call (laughs) something racist that isn't. And post a clip and say this is racist. And then when you hear the whole video, it's nothing of the sort. Mm -hmm. Have we called things racist that weren't racist? Absolutely. So I'm not saying a black person is infallible in their declarations of what is or isn't racist. I'm saying. So I'm asking the first thing that I want my white brothers and sisters to do. And this is the request that my brothers and black brothers and sisters that are listening to this. Your first request has to be in love that can we agree that you need to understand more about this before you can determine if you agree or disagree. So just the posture of under, of of seeking to understand, because that's what I told my man in the chat. I said, I don't need you to agree or disagree. <laughs> Eddie Gloud, he's a distinguished professor at Princeton University, one of the preeminent intellectuals on race in this country. He doesn't need some average Joe to agree with him. He needs you to be seeking to understand him. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he needs out of you. He doesn't, he doesn't he doesn't need you to like great Eddie I agree with you. I don't need your agreement. I know I'm right. <laughs> that's what he would say. I don't need you average Joe that's never read a single book. Probably never read a history book after you graduated high school. 
I don't need you to agree or disagree with me. I need you to submit to the fact that when you're talking to me, the only thing you bring to this conversation is a desire to understand. So that's the context when a black person is trying to discuss social issues in this country. Yeah. The first things isn't, I need you to bring agreement to me. I need you to bring to this conversation a desire to understand first. So if you can disarm their idea that agreement or disagreement is their most powerful mm -hmm. gift to the discussion and that the most powerful gift a white person can bring to the discussion is a desire to understand. We got a completely different conversation happening now. And that is one that I believe is less offensive because it isn't, it doesn't start with an indictment of the individual mm -hmm. and their moral morality. And then the second thing is to talk about it in a context that it's bigger than an individual's choice to be racist or not, that I'm talking about something that's bigger than you so you don't have to bear the personal <laughs> load of choosing to be a racist there's a couple generations of this that we're oh, working on Oh man i think that's the other part of it like i'm not indicting you this is bigger than you or me yep. like if, if you're a poor black person in the inner city you didn't get there on your own right <laughs> you know what i mean going to a terrible school you didn't choose that you didn't get there on your own so the same way i don't want to indict a poor black boy that the only option he had was a gun and selling drugs. He didn't make that bed on his own. Right. So I'm not indicting him the same way I wouldn't indict somebody that's been born in the suburbs, went to a school, highly funded, highly regarded, but had less than adequate history taught, didn't have a lot of interaction with other black people and only saw stereotypes in movies and television. They didn't write the movie. They didn't write the television show. Yeah. They didn't write the news that they watched in the evening and all they saw were black people killing each other in inner city with no context. You didn't do that. So you didn't just wake up one morning and say, you know what? I think I hate black people. Are there people that have had experiences and decided that? Sure. But that doesn't have to be the indictment. I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I'm going, but I think that's, those are some of the parameters we need to adjust in the conversation in order for them to be had in a healthy manner. Okay. Okay. Well, I hope that you guys got a lot out of that last spot there and even throughout the whole thing, because this is a very, again, uh, relevant and uh, ongoing topic that, uh, again, we're all going to be dealing with for the next until Jesus comes. Probably. <laughs> um, so um, really, you know, this week, the off topic was more so the shootings and they were the topic. Yeah. All in one in the same. Yeah, we praying for people in El Paso and yes. Dayton and wherever is next, unfortunately. You just pray that it's we're getting ready to send our kids back to school. And you're not just sending them back to school. You're sending them back into the fear of and 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 danger zone of a school shooting so it's 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 terrible it, it it is and so that being said you know we just go keep praying for those and again supporting the uh ideals and beliefs that we believe in go back and re-listen to it. it happened again if there was something here that came up obviously any other objects and weeks but dope my justin man. appreciate you my brother love you my brother